Get your Bibles open. I'm going to be reading in a moment out of Ezekiel. The book of Ezekiel. And we're going to finish this morning our last lesson in our series that we've been um, dwelling in. We've entitled Embrace the Grace. Helping, hopefully helping everyone come to a true and better understanding of the grace of God. If we did not have the grace of God, we'd all be in a mess. So we wanted to um, touch on several different areas on this whole area. But we're going to wrap that up this morning. And then in uh, really the next few weeks, and I'm going to just kind of be led of the Lord. Isn't it good to know pastor wants to be led of the Lord? Um, the next few weeks, I really want to speak what I call prophetically to you. And when I say that, I'm not talking about second coming issues or last day issues, although it certainly probably dovetails into that. But I believe that that prophecy is really the unveiling of the heart and the mind of God for today. And and so I just want to I just want to speak on some things that I think is on the heart and the mind of God as best I can discern it. And uh, just so that into you as the congregation and into the people of God. And and so I'm, I'm concluding one teaching series, and, it, and, it's, and it's really a prophetic message in some ways this morning that's going to dovetail into our next few weeks together. And really, I th- feel like it's kind of a part of the call of God uh, on my life is to just be able to speak the mind and the heart of God uh, prophetically. I, I feel like that's a part of my call. I don't do that as often as I would like as a pastor because the people of God need to be taught. And, and, and I understand that, and I gratefully embrace that aspect of being a pastor, but I do believe that uh, there's something that can be a benefit to you that can be birthed, I think, out of my primary call, and uh, we're going to believe that's the case. You know, um, in our current era that we're living in, uh, we've mentioned that there has been a twisting and a convoluting of the gospel of grace, and uh, we did our best to touch that and deal with that. But I also want you to know that there is going to come a time that God will release an unprecedented outpouring of His grace and glory upon His church for the express purpose of reaching this world. I am of the opinion and I am convinced that God is never, I'll say that again, God is never, underline it, in a retreat mode. God retreats to no one and nothing. He always eclipses Himself. What that means is no matter what God did yesterday or days past, He will always outdo Himself. He will always eclipse Himself. The Scripture tells us that the glory of the latter house will be greater than the former. I have several degrees in church history, of which has been interesting and insightful, but let me just share this with you. As great a God story as I might find in the annals of church history, I'm here to tell you God has something greater and better and bigger in the future. We can read history and be awestruck by what God has done in times past, but God is always up to something bigger. I read the book of Acts and sometimes I just go, have mercy. God, you were incredible in the early church, but I declare to you that before Jesus comes, the Lord will supersede himself because he's not going to end this thing any less than how he got it started. I believe that the the book of Acts was the starting line and God finishes strong. God does not finish 
somehow depleted, weary, somehow less than his best. No, God will complete his work in the church in in far greater, wonderful, awesome ways. The church will not go out with a whimper or a tail between her legs. The church will not end its time on earth anemic or powerless. But the Bible says that we will be a glorious church without spot or wrinkle, washed in the blood of the Lamb. We are going to be filled with the power of God. The Spirit of God will cause the sons and the handmaidens to prophesy. Yes, even our sons and our daughters. Not just because it sounds better, but because that's what the Word says. I believe it teaches that. So this morning, as we kind of wrap this up, and as we get ready to spring into what God's saying in this hour, I I, want to talk on what I've entitled the flood of His grace. The flood of His grace. In Ezekiel 47, there's a great passage that is alluded to on so many different occasions. We've received prophecies and words. And I know some years ago, I believe I ministered on this particular passage. I could tell you it's one of my one of my favorite pictures. Ezekiel has several pictures that are just some of my favorites. But in the 47th chapter, there's a picture here that I believe just can encourage us and cause us to hunger and thirst and desire for even more of what God wants to do in the hour that you and I are living in. How many of you know it's a challenging hour? I mean, we're living in challenging days economically. Uh, We're dealing with challenging issues with regards to terrorism and how we're going to deal with with radical elements of Islam and are there, you know, moderate elements of Islam and how how are we going to deal with all of this? And, and, And how are we dealing with a church that seems to be just tepid and lukewarm and apathetic? And I mean, God, give us a word here that can kind of give us some hope in some of our bearings. And and I believe this could be one of those words, Ezekiel 47, verse one. And just listen to the picture. You may not get it all at first, but just listen to the picture. It says, then he, meaning Ezekiel, or he uh, brought me back to the door of the temple, meaning the Lord brought him back to the temple, excuse me. And there was water flowing from under the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the front of the temple faced east and the water flowing from under the right side of the temple south of the altar. He brought me out by way of the north gate and led me around on the outside to the outer gate that faces east. And there was water running out on the right side. Now, don't get all hung up on east, west, north, and south, and this and that. Water's coming out of the temple. Get a hold of that. Verse 3, And when the man went to the east with the line in his hand, he measured 1,000 cubits, and he brought me through the waters. The water came up to my ankles. You might want to underline that. The water came up to my ankles. Verse 4, again he measured 1,000, brought me through the waters, and the water came up to my knees. Again he measured 1,000 and brought me through, and the water came up to my waist. How many of you know we're we're going a direction here with the water? Verse 5, again he measured 1,000, and it was a river that I could not cross, for the water was too deep. Water in which one must swim, a river that could not be crossed. He said to me, son of man, have you seen this? Then he brought me and returned me to the bank of the river. When I returned there along the bank of the river were very many trees on one side and the other. Then he said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region, goes down into the valley, enters the sea. And when it reaches the sea, its waters are healed. 
Now I'm just going to stop here because that's a pretty amazing picture because what, 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 they're, what they're beginning to think there is is that there's some river going out to the sea. And in those days, if you look at your maps, it was the Dead Sea. And there's a reason it's called the Dead Sea. It's dead. It's, it's sailing content is astronomical even compared to the ocean. Nothing lives in the Dead Sea. And the Scripture says out of this vision, if you just take it at, at a natural level, that this river that's coming out of the temple moves to this Dead Sea in which nothing can live. And the Scripture says that when the waters of the river touch the waters of the sea, the sea is healed. Isn't that amazing? The sea is healed. Verse 9, and then it shall be that every living thing that moves, every living thing that moves, wherever the river goes, will live. And there will be a very great multitude of fish because these waters go there, for they'll be healed. And everything will live wherever the river goes. I like verse 9 because he just says over and over again, will live, will live, will live. Verse 10, it shall be that fishermen will stand by it from the Engedi to and Iglain, they will, they will be places for spreading their nets, the word says. Their fish will be of the same kinds as of the fish of the great sea or the ocean, exceedingly many. But it says its swamps and marshes will not be healed. They will be given over to salt. And then verse 12, along the bank of the river, on this side and that, will grow all kinds of trees used for food. Their leaves will not wither and their fruit will not fail. They will bear fruit every month because their water flows from the where? Their water flows from where? Come on. This is happening because the water flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for medicine. Now I'm going to stop there. It's quite a picture, isn't it? I like Ezekiel. I have said through the years that there is much in Ezekiel that I can identify with. We are told that Ezekiel, if he's to be properly understood, was what was called at that time a prophet priest. There were moments that he walked in the office of a priest as he moved amongst the people. And then there were moments that he functioned as a prophet as he would declare the word of the Lord. I have a lot of respect for Ezekiel. Uh, because Ezekiel had to declare the word of the Lord and then he had to stay where he declared it. You know, a lot of prophets can ride into town and say what they think and then they get to ride out of town. I don't know that that takes a lot of courage often to be able to say what's on God's mind and let everybody have it and then leave town. Isn't that wonderful? Wonderful ministry. But Ezekiel was a, a prophet priest, so whatever he said, he had to live with. In fact, everybody could just sort of stand around and see if Ezekiel and what he had to say was true or not, because just by virtue of time, they could begin to figure it out. So so I have a lot of a lot of respect for Ezekiel. He he ministered pastorally, but yet he had this prophetic mantle that was on him as well. And uh, he was always, always faithful to declare the word of the Lord to the people, no matter no matter what that word may be. And the other thing about Ezekiel I appreciate is that if you ever read about Ezekiel, I mean, he has some of the wildest visions. I mean, it's in Ezekiel that you'll read the wheel within a wheel. And I saw fire and this and that and, the, you know, this, 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 this beast that had wings and this and that and the other. And you read Ezekiel and you say, this dude was on drugs or he heard from God. I mean, I, I mean, Ezekiel was just kind of this, had to be this wild man in the midst of Israel. And here at the end of his book, he, he writes this vision 
And the vision, basically, if you'll just allow me to synopsize it, is a picture of water like a river that is flowing out of the temple. And as it's flowing out of the temple, it, it is moving in a certain direction by which it is slowly getting deeper and deeper and deeper. Until finally we are told it is so large and so deep that it's impossible to even stand in it on your tiptoes. You have to literally swim in it if you want to get around in it. And then we are told here at the end of this particular uh, chapter that this river goes and touches things. And as it begins to touch things, life is brought to it. Healing is brought to it. Supernatural happenings begin to take place as the river begins to get there. And, and I understand and, and I know enough with regards to interpreting the Scripture that, that a lot of times when you work through the Old Testament, you have to work through whether or not the, the writer's talking about the restoration of the nation of Israel and, and whether it's linked to that or whether it's linked to the church and how do these things link together. And I'm just of the, uh, of the tribe of interpreters, I guess we would say, that I certainly value Israel and I certainly affirm everything that God has declared over Israel. I believe we're to, to bless Israel and, and those that bless them are blessed and those that curse them are cursed. I believe that to be true. But I believe it to be true, not so much on the basis that that there's a national, natural uh, uh, state that exists as much as God says that this is what I will do for the seed of Abraham. And some will be touched. Jewish people will be touched. Paul says that there'll be a great Jewish revival that will take place in the last days. In fact, Paul says that God will do something so phenomenal in, in the life of the Gentiles and in the work of the church that it would literally solicit the jealousy of the Jewish people. That the Jewish people would look at what was taking place in our lives and there would be something that would quicken inside of them that would solicit a jealousy and that they would want the one true and living God as He has incarnated Himself through Jesus Christ. And, and so I'm of the opinion that there's sort of like this two-track deal in Scripture, that, that as you go through the Old Testament, there's this restoration of the Jews that will take place because Paul affirms it in the book of Romans. But at the same time, I believe the other track of the Holy Spirit is the church because Paul said in Galatians that you and I no longer come to God through race, but by grace. And He no longer looks at us according to the pigmentation of our skin, but according to the blood that flows in our veins. I am a seed of Abraham because Jesus changed my heart out. And so every promise that he speaks of under an old covenant is as good or better for me under the new covenant. And I just have come to the conclusion that as God is doing a work in Israel, that at the same time he's doing a work in the church. And there's coming a day that the Spirit of God will move so mightily in the church that He will break out of our boxes and He's going to break out of our containers. He's going to burst through the door like a river and take over streets and communities and cities and even nations. I know, I understand. When you look at the television set and you see what's going on, you say to yourself, there's no way that can happen. No way in the eyes of man it could happen. But in God's economy, it will happen. Yes, it will. God allows things to reach desperate, impossible moments in order that when He moves, there's no other way to explain it. Except it was 
his hand. That's why some of you have faced impossible moments in your own life and you say, where's God been? He's waiting till you reach the end of your rope, the bottom of the barrel. And once you get there, he can move. And then you know it wasn't your wits. It wasn't your smarts. It wasn't how you looked. You weren't cute enough. You had nothing to bring except you just said, have mercy on me. And God moves in that regard. And here in Ezekiel 47, I believe, is a prophetic picture of time that we see this actually happening. And what that means is, is that if we are indeed living in what we know to be last days, and I'll just share this with you, I believe we are in the last days. Then that means somewhere on the horizon. Now I'm talking real close. Somewhere just around the corner, on the horizon. I know, I know, I know, I know it seems like everything's collapsing and spinning out of control and we're trying to get our fingers around it. And if we could pass more laws and if we change out who's in charge of Congress and if we change out this politician or that politician, folks, God's just looking there saying, you change out everything you think needs change and it won't change a thing. I will come, the Lord says, and I'll begin to change it. And here in this picture, what we see is, is that there is an outpouring of God's spirit as it's imaged in the river. An outpouring of God's spirit that literally comes out from under the altars, the scripture tells us, and moves through the doors and it begins to enter into the world. It will be an outpouring of grace and presence that will literally drown us. Now you may ask, well, how can God do that? Or how will God do that in our present state and condition? I mean, in our present state and condition, I think we mirror the Laodicean mess, the seventh church in the book of the Revelation. How, how, how is God going to move in a lukewarm, compromised church? You know, uh, several years ago, I was flying uh, to New Orleans. I've been flying to New Orleans for quite some time now because our overseers and a lot of the conferences that we had attend are uh, generated out of the New Orleans, Baton Rouge area. And so this was several years ago um, when I was uh, flying to New Orleans that uh, I got to the airport, rented the car, started to go to my destination. And for those of you that have ever been in New Orleans, you'll know this to be true, that as you drive even through the interstate, uh, that you'll begin to see off on the sides uh, uh, graveyards. And, and there in New Orleans... For those of you who might not know, they built that city about 14 feet below sea level. I, I don't know who the engineer was there, but that wasn't smart. 14 feet below sea level. It's, it's literally New Orleans is in a bowl. And of course, we all know the stories of, of levees that were built. And I'm going to get to Katrina here in just a moment. But for those of you that may have never been there or for those of you that have, just to bring it to your remembrance, as you go and you pass graveyards, Without question, all of the graves are built in what you call mausoleums. And, and, and mausoleums can be of different sizes and shapes. And, and it's literally, not to be disrespectful, but it's kind of like a condo for the dead. I mean, you just, sort of, you, you just sort of slide them into boxes above ground. Because if they were to bury anything underground, because of the water table, I mean, you don't have to go very far in New Orleans before you strike water. Because they're that 
that low beneath the sea, sea level. And so, and so they, they bury their dead above ground uh, in these mausoleums. Now, uh, there was a magazine article that I was reading that, that literally called it in the article, Cities for the Dead. And if you've ever been there, and those of you that have seen it will, will bear witness to this, that you will drive by and literally it looks like cities or neighborhoods of mausoleums. And it's just kind of a unique look. It's so unique that you can take tours in New Orleans of graveyards. You can pay your 20 bucks and jump on a bus and they'll take you through your local graveyard. And I'm sure there's interesting people buried there. I'm sure there's interesting things that go on. And, and anyway, this is what they do in New Orleans. Now, the whole purpose of, of these mausoleums, and this is the point I'm coming to, is so that dead people will never be touched by water. You ought to write that one down. Their whole purpose of building this way was so that dead people will never be touched by water. Now, most of us know because of history in 2005, Katrina went through that area, causing incredible devastation, incredible issues, problems. Without making any just statement on uh, Katrina, because we are built with compassion, we, we, we compassionately reach out to people, we compassionately help people put their lives back together. We sowed into local churches that were there so they could get the money directly to people. And so, so we did that. We had others, even from our church, that threw chainsaws into vans and they traveled out to Mississippi and into the New Orleans area to try to help people. So understand what I'm saying. We, we certainly have great compassion upon people as we help them through that particular uh, a crisis and tragedy. But the Holy Spirit began to speak to me. I, I go there so often that the Spirit of God began to speak to me in a very direct way, particularly when I drive by these places. And it was as if the Spirit said to me, as I was looking at these mausoleums and cities of the dead, it was as if the Spirit said to me, that's my church. It has created ways to keep itself out of the waters of my presence. It has built beautiful and historical structures above the waterline that the world loves to tour, but it's never touched by it. And as I began to just let that resonate in my spirit, I started to think about what the Lord allowed to happen. Now, you can you can untangle this any way you want to. You can say he sent it. You can say he allowed it. I don't know. I believe everything is somehow, some way in the purview of the Lord just because he's a sovereign God. But but the Lord obviously allowed Katrina to come to this area. And out of that catastrophe, the waters touched what many were convinced would never be touched. The hurricane broke through the levees, did it not? And the waters flooded the city. Folks, I believe and I want to believe that God is going to move mightily because his people are burdened and moved to pray and intercede. Wouldn't it be wonderful if somehow the people of God would listen to the prophets and they would listen to the teachers of the word and they would hear the voice of the Lord. And because they were so burdened with loving and serving and wanting God, that they were so consumed with the word of the Lord that they would hit their knees and they would cry out to God for him to move in unprecedented ways. I want God to do it that way. 
But if we choose not to do it that way, the only thing that will get our attention is when he allows a crisis to touch us, which causes us to cry out for his presence. If we will not cry out to God, he can create situations where he can get us to cry pretty quick. And I know we're living in an era that the theology of the air is God wouldn't do anything to harm me. Listen, he'd do anything he could to get you out of sin and half heartedness and lukewarmness. And he'd put he'd let crisis come to you if it would cause you to reach out to him. So your blessing could come from him. I have no problem with that. None. And I'm just telling you and I'm prophesying to you that God in the era we are living in right now is creating even situations in nations. Crisis situations. That ultimately we will determine how much pain as a nation can we endure until we will cry out to God again and say, Oh Lord, send Your Spirit, send Your river into my life and into our churches again. The good news is He will do this. But the question is, will it be birthed out of our desire or will it be birthed out of a crisis? I think that's the question that's still up in the air. Now, let me give you some good news in all of this. The outcome of that outpouring is really phenomenal. I'm just going to walk through this because the picture gives us just little, little quick snapshots of some things that God will do in this particular time period. In fact, uh, he says there's seven things. I'm going to move through this very, very rapidly. Number one, it says that literally this river will come and his grace and his presence will burst into the streets. That's what it says. It says that the waters come out from under the altars and it goes out the door. We're going to we're going to have a time period when we dismiss service and, and the glass doors here at the mall are opened up. And the minute those glass doors are opened up, his presence is going to go out into the streets. It'll literally be loosed into our city, just like Pentecost. You couldn't keep Pentecost in an upper room, could you? I mean, all of a sudden the door opened up and God just moved out into the streets of Jerusalem. And there's coming a day before Jesus comes because Jesus isn't trying to say gotcha. He isn't trying to come to catch you. At your worst. In fact, the word says that he comes as a thief in the night, as a a thief in the night to the sons of darkness. But then Paul said, but it shall not be so for you, brethren, for you are sons of the light. And if you're a son of the light, what that means is, is that he's not wanting to come as a thief in the darkness or a thief in the night. And and so God's not wanting to, to come to his church and say, gotcha. But what God's wanting to do is to do something powerful in the life of His church that will cause it to arise as a bride that can be received by its Lord. And literally, in the end, when that happens, there's going to be a moving of God's Spirit because God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And God will do His best. Nobody will stand before the Lord and say, Lord, You never reached out to me. You never tried to reach me or talk to me. Nobody will rail an accusation against our God, for it will be God who says, I loosed my Spirit through the doors of my church, and You saw you saw it in your cities and you saw it in your regions and you saw it in your nations. We will stand without excuse. And that's that's good news because God's wanting to do that in us. 
It will literally, his presence will burst into the streets. Number two, multitudes will be drawn to his presence. It says here in verse seven, that when I returned, there were very many trees on one side and the other of the river. You know, all through the Bible, trees are oftentimes used to image people. That's why the scripture says in the book of Psalms, let all the trees of the field clap their hands. I don't even know trees don't clap. I clap because I'm a tree of the field. And the scripture says that that there's going to be multitudes, trees, multitudes that will be drawn to his presence and grace. You'll find yourself. Listen to me. I'm just going to share this with you. Some of you are going to be at your workplace and, and you're going to be asked and you're going to be solicited to talk about the things of the Lord. Isn't that, isn't that going to be a switch? Because for some of you, you're trying to find ways you can talk about the Lord in, in your workplace, to talk about the Lord in your schools, to talk about the Lord wherever it is that God has placed you. But there's going to come a day that His grace will be so loosed out of His church and in the earth that people will come up to you and they'll say, what must I do to be saved? You know, that's what happened in the book of Acts. And we're not finishing off like we started. We're finishing off better. You're going to be asked and you're going to be solicited. Hard cases. Those that are just hard-headed and hard-hearted are suddenly going to want to talk. Those who wanted nothing to do with you are suddenly going to come find you. Those that drove by this church a thousand times not knowing what was going on here will suddenly look to the side and see legacy and just suddenly be drawn into the house of God. These things will happen all over the world. Number three, evangelism is going to be easy and expansive. It says that in verse 10, that fishermen will stand next to this river and they'll spread their nets. And there's going to be this incredible ingathering of fish, exceedingly many. Folks, let me just share with you during this time period, you're not going to need a 10 week course on witnessing. The book of Acts tells us again that the disciples, as I'm quoting it, said we cannot help but speak the things which we have seen and heard. There's going to be something that's going to happen in all of us to such magnitude that we're just going to walk out of here and we'll go about our daily ordinary existence and it's just going to come out and there ain't no stopping it and nobody's going to want to stop it. Unprecedented harvest. I mean, you're going to be sharing with a person just one person you're going to be sharing with and they're going to be five by the water cooler overhearing what you're saying and all six of them will get saved because they were eavesdropping on you. This is the era I'm talking about. Number four, an unprecedented harvest of souls. Sometimes I know we, we are concerned about folks and being in the house of God and, and bringing people to the house of God and these are good things that we should be certainly concerned about. But can I just share with you during this time period, you better get to church early or you're not going to have your seat. We're going we're to irritate some of the religious because they're going to find out that the that the people are coming in and their seat is going to suddenly be taken. And gospel preaching churches will suddenly pack overnight. I'm sorry, but I do not believe that tepid man pleasing centers are going to have a very good time during this time period because people always find life. I mean, when they're looking for water and they're thirsty and they're looking for food when they're hungry, it's amazing what people will do. They will find where it's at. 
And there's going to be an unprecedented harvest during that time period. Number five, signs, wonders, and miracles are going to become commonplace. It says that every living thing that moves will live. That's what it says here. It says they'll live. Wherever the river goes, life will show up. In verse 12, it says that trees will begin to manifest and and the fruit won't fail. And it says that their fruit will be for food and their leaves for medicine. There's going to be healing and and signs and wonders and miracles. You're not going to have to go to the back room on a Wednesday night in order to find the workings of the Holy Ghost. It's going to be normal AM activity. We're going to see the hard cases healed. Let me tell you, I want to see hard cases healed as much as any of you do. And some of you may be the hard healing cases. I want you healed. And even God wants you healed. But it's going to take seeing a measure of His glory and grace to come back again to us. Because He's not going to be yanked around like a cheap sideshow barker. He wants to be loved and He wants to be embraced and He wants to be appreciated. And I'm telling you, it's going to be an error. We're going to see the hard cases. I was even thinking as I was penning this out, one of my... One of my good friends for years now, I see Brenda Denarowitz down here. I know she's probably going, he just said my name out loud. But old Jimmy, Jimmy, Jimmy had to have an amputation that took place on his leg. Let me tell you something, legs growing and watching Jimmy take a few trips around the church is just fine with me. That alienates a few, then let him be alienated. I'm talking about this is that type of era. Remember, nobody will stand before God and say, you never showed me. You never told me. I didn't know. Number six, it says the people of God will bear and retain fruit. I don't know about you. There are moments I feel like I feel like I invest, I invest, I invest, I invest, and I never see a return. I don't know if you've ever invested in people and then you don't see a return. I mean, it's not like you're looking for return everywhere you go. It, that almost, it, it could sound self-centered, but after a while, you're going, Lord, it seems like all I do is plant and water. Can't we harvest a little here? I mean, I, I'm with you. I'm going to love you. I'm, I'm with you all the way. But, but boy, I, it seems like I, I bear fruit. I bear fruit. I bear fruit. And, and I just kind of like a return. Will there ever be a return? This is what the scripture tells us here. This time period will bring not only uh, fruit bearing, but it will be unprecedented fruit bearing, unprecedented favor. And it says in verse 12 here that the leaves will not wither and their fruit will not fail. They will bear fruit every month because their water flows from the sanctuary. The people of God are going to bear fruit and it'll just keep bearing fruit. And finally, I put as number seven, just the church will be seen as the solution to much of the world's problems. You know, right now, is it not true that by and large as the church, we're, we're, we're just simply tolerated? We're kind of politely acquiesced to, sometimes not so politely. But, but can I just tell you, there's going to come a moment that the world will have so exhausted itself. And we're getting there quickly. I'm just telling you, you can put you can put all the Harvard graduates you can muster up and you can shove them all into Washington, D.C. and close them up in a big room and let them hash out all the world's problems and they won't solve it. That Harvard degree may impress some, but it don't impress God. It's not Harvard or Yale or Princeton or going to some Ivy League school. It's not because 
you were an attorney and you got this on your bar exam or you're in this profession and you're just so highly enlightened and you understand this or that and the rest. There's coming a day when God will cause the wisdom of man to be folly. And the simplicity of the gospel to be absolutely everything you'll ever need to know. I'm just here to tell you, there's gonna, the greatest turnaround in history is about ready to take place. Those illiterate, dumb, Pentecostal bums are fixing to arise to a place where the world says, I think we're going to listen to you for a while. May not be our day to day, but that day's quickly coming. You say, well, that is encouraging. I, I like the sounds of all of that. How can I be a part of it? I want to be a part of it. I, I, I want to be involved in all of this activity. I don't want to be sitting on the sidelines. I, I, I want to be in the center of what God is up to. And, and so how, how pastor can I be a part of that? And, and that really is a great question because for me, I don't, I don't want to be someone who just hears about what God's up to. I'd really like to participate in what God's up to. And Ezekiel answers the question by going on what I call through the vision a measuring expedition. He begins to measure the river or this man he sees in the river begins to measure the river and where it begins to hit on his body. And you'll recall, you may have underlined it. It started at his ankles. It went to his knees. It then went to his waist. And then eventually it came over his head. Now, <clears throat> hear me. This is going to be the most important part. And, and really, I'm close to being finished. There was a measure of water at every point he stood. I'll say that again. There was a measure of water at every point he stood. This is the amazing thing about God. Is that no matter where you are on the journey. Wherever you are in your journey, however you would define this. There is a measure of water. There's a measure of the spirit. Isn't that good news? I mean, that's really a compassionate thing if you think about it. There's a measure of water no matter where you are in the journey. But the key to this whole vision is that these unprecedented things that I just listed to you only took place when they got in over their head. Are you following me? You, 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 you can't stand in ankle deep water and expect to see these seven things I just took place. I just said to you, you can't do it. You, you, you can't be up to your knees. You can't be up to your waist. You, you, you got to find the place where you're over your head. And when he got to the place, it says that he was over his head. Literally, he was he was swimming, the scripture says. Swimming because his feet couldn't touch the bottom. That's when we see these unprecedented things begin to manifest or unfold around him. Now, now, what does this say? It says, at least to me, that for me and, and I would take it to uh, all of us as well, it says that you and I are going to have a choice as to how much of the river we really want to touch our lives. I mean, I mean, you, you have a choice. I mean, God, it doesn't say here that the that, that the hand of God came with a rope and drug him out to the deep end. Didn't say that, did it? Didn't say that somehow God picked him up by the nap of his toga. And threw him out into the deep end. Doesn't say that. 
What it means is, is that you and I are going to have some choices along the way as to just how much of the water, this river, this moving of God's grace and his glory, really it's the Holy Spirit, but how much of this is going to begin to flow and how much do we choose to allow it to begin to touch us or affect our lives. And I, I can liken this almost to stages because I do believe for most people, this, this is probably a good analogy of how God works in our life. It kind of starts at a, at a low level and, the, and he slowly moves up to the, to the knees, to the waist, until finally we're just consumed by the presence of God and consumed by the things of God. And, and that should be, I think, uh, a natural stage of progression probably in, in a lot of people's lives. But, but I want to talk just a moment these stages real quick. The ankle deep stage or the ankle deep crowd. I mean, Tracy and I, we don't do this as much anymore because uh, we've had some sun issues in our family. I'm, I'm, you know, sun as in, you know, yellow sun ball in the sky. Um, we've, had, we've had some issues with, with skin cancers in our family. And so we've had to stay out of the, the sun and stay out of uh, really the beach because you go to the beach to get in the sun. But, but there have been occasions where we've walked on the beach and how many of you know when you walk on the beach that a lot of times you take your shoes off and you, and you just get in the ocean about ankle deep and you take your walk along the beach. It's very pleasant, very nice. It, it's a wonderful thing to experience. And, and while you're getting your feet wet and you're trying to experience the beach in this ocean moment, inside you need to just realize what you are saying to yourself. You're saying to yourself, I don't mind getting my feet wet, but I have no intention of getting the rest of me wet. I want to experience the ocean in as much as I am here and on the beach and I like all that's going on around me, but I really, I really don't have any inclination on getting the rest of my body wet. Now, there's no condemnation in this. Just listen to me. But if that's your attitude with the things of the spirit, then understand you will never get to these awesome supernatural things that are going on in this picture. And for many people, they reach this place where kind of God just sort of splashes their ankles and they enjoy the scenery and they like the atmosphere. But they have no they have no intention of getting any more wet than that. And, and oftentimes the sad part is, is that they'll wonder why God isn't working in their life or they wonder why God isn't moving in their life. Or why don't I get the miracles like you get the miracles? Well, it's because you're ankle deep. And if you choose to go out a little further, you may see that God begins to move in a little bit more dramatic ways. Then you get to the knee deep stage. And, I, and I'm just as I was thinking through this, I was just thinking about different things that might go through your mind at the knee deep stage. You know, it's just far enough to sort of get a feel for the temperature. You know, if it's cold or, you know, if it's warm, you get a feel for the temperature, but you're still fully in control of what you want to do or what you don't want to do. And, and I believe you can liken this maybe to those who have at one time felt the spirit, but never really yielded to the spirit. They're sort of in, but they're not totally in. They're not exactly out either. Can I just share this with you? My wife and I have had this discussion on numerous occasions, but there's a group of, of, of Christian people out there that at one time in their life had a charismatic experience. There was a moment in their life that God came in an amazing way. And maybe it happened at a, at a Bible study years ago. Maybe it happened at an encounter. Maybe it happened at just some informal gathering. It could have happened in the life of church. And they experienced a great moment in God and in the Holy Spirit. And it, and it really touched them deeply. And that's valid. The problem was, is they had that one touch, but they never moved on. 
God touched you and that was great and we cheer and we affirm that. But God doesn't touch you to keep you knee deep. He touches you to woo you on out into the ocean. Then there's the waist deep crowd. You ever see someone waist deep in water? This is really interesting, especially at a pool or something like that. It's like when they're, when they're going down the stairs. This is what's funny. Some of you know where I'm going with this. This is what happens. It's like, right about here because it's going over your suit line right here. (laughs) Have you ever watched that? It's hilarious, especially when my kids were young. It was hilarious watching them getting into pools. I mean, you could sit there on the side of the pool and it was like just this show you had because they really wanted to be in the pool. But how they got into the pool, man, it was killing them. It was killing because when they get it without waist deep, they, they start going, oh, you know, they're kind of hopping. And it's like, do I really, do I really want to get wet? And can I just share this with you? Billy Graham had one of the greatest quotes years ago. He said, the hardest thing about sitting on the fence is this. He said, you're not clean in and you're not clean out. You're just straddling a fence and it's hurting you. And this is kind of where this stage is. It's like you're in, but you're not clear in. And it really is a painful stage. Because this is where most of us are dealing with the last vestiges of our personal control. And how much will we really give to God? And how much will we really trust Him? And, and what could He ask me potentially to sacrifice or do or give? And I, I don't know. I, I, I need to keep my boundaries here. And, and God may ask too much. And maybe I'm not ready for this. And I really want this. But you're just kind of in that, oh, do I go in or do I not go in? Painful. Am I going to dive in or am I going to walk back? I believe that's the way deep crap. But he's trying to bring us to the place where we're over our heads. You see, this is, listen, this is when you are immersed. This is where you are baptized. In the presence of the Holy Spirit. You're over your head in his presence. This is, this is the place of abundancy. This is where you're out of direct control. How many of you know if you're swimming in a river, you're subject to the flow of the river? I mean, I've never been in a riptide. I do not intend to be in a riptide, but I know enough about riptides. It's this, that when you're in a riptide, you can't fight it. I mean, there's a way to get out of it. You have to kind of swim to the side and then back into shore. But the whole point of a riptide is, is that you're not in control anymore of where you're going. It is pushing you out to sea further and further and further. You've got no control over this. You can't run in. You can't stop. I I mean, you're just out of direct control. All you can do is flow with it. And God wants to bring his people to the place where we will flow with what he is doing. 
And if we will flow with what he is doing, this will be the place that we will begin to see his power and promise and possibilities manifested in our lives and even in the life of the church here locally or his body worldwide. He's trying to bring us into his river. You see, here's our problem. Our problem is we want to create something and say, God, bless it. This is what I'm doing. God, bless it. This is what we presented to you. God, bless it. And God is saying, I am doing something. You get in it. I'm not blessing your agenda. You're trying and I'm trying to woo you into my agenda, saith the Lord. And it's at the moment where we let go of the dock. And we begin to move out to where we're over our heads. That is the moment. Miracles take place. Because you see, it's no longer me or it's no longer you. It is Him. It is Him. I will never forget. Oh, it's been years ago now. And I guess to be honest, I've probably come up to these moments several times in my life. But there was a moment in my life where just like this pool illustration that I gave you, there was a moment in my life. Because those of you that have been around me now for years, you know, you know a little bit of what I was like years ago. And even that, even that picture was looser than what I was years prior to that. Wow. I was very circumscribed. My boundaries were very well established. I mean, I, I, I mean, I mean, control was my middle name. And, and God began to work on me and deal with me because there was something inside of me that still hungered for him to do miraculous, amazing things. I don't know about you, but I want God to do amazing things. I really want bodies to be healed. I, 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 want, I want people to be delivered. I, I, I hate it when people struggle over their bondages and their addictions. I hate it when people just seem to struggle so with the sins that so easily beset them. I, I hate it so when people are sick and, and they're even dying before it's time for them to die. I hate that. I don't want that. I think God hates it. I really think he he's purposed us to live out his purposes until we can say it is finished. And then at that moment, he can receive us and take us home. But 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 in order to get there, something has to break. You just can't say, Lord, this is this. You know, you can you may look at other people and get away with it by saying this is just me. Get over it. And you may get away with that with other people. Maybe even it needs to be said in some situations, but you aren't going to get away with that with God. You cannot look at God and say, ah, that's just the way you made me. Get over it. God's going to look at you and say, here's the good news. I can twist you around and do whatever I want and make you a whole new person, if you'll let me. And, and so there came a moment in my life where God was saying just, Kevin, it's time, it's time, it's time. And, and, and the initial place where this all broke for me, I've told this story before, some of you may never have heard it. It was at a men's a men's outing at a place called Look Up Lodge in the upstate of South Carolina. I mean, Look Up Lodge, I'm just here to tell you, Look Up Lodge was just oh, nasty. <sighs> you come home and you smelled like the lodge. I mean, everything you took there just smelled like the lodge. And, and it didn't smell good. 
And it had a little tabernacle, you know, on the grounds. And, you know, it was one of those grounds you brought your sleeping bag and stuff to. And, and you, you know, the quality of food was eh, and But the whole purpose was you're just there to be with a bunch of guys, seek God and, you know, tr- try to be transformed, present yourself for some level of transformation. And so that's why we were out there as a bunch of guys. And, and it was it was at the beginning stages of this journey into the fullness of the spirit for me, which is back back in eighty nine. 1989. And I'll never forget being in that tabernacle and the music started, you know, and it was back in those days. Again, that was the Jewish era for music back in those days. Everything had that, you know, it was all that kind of stuff, you know. And so so you could so you had this little Jewish hop you could do. And that was the dancing that went on in those days was this little Jewish hop. You sort of kicked your leg and, you know, none of us were Jewish and none of us really knew how to dance. We just kind of did the best we could. And, and so uh, we're out there in the woods, just a bunch of guys. Music starts. And, and, and this bunch of guys was, was pretty expressive for guys. I mean, I guess God knew what I would have to have. I mean, the guys were pretty expressive. I mean, lots of arms in the air. I mean, there was this Jewish hopping going on here and there. And it wasn't girly. I mean, it was, it was still masculine in its presentation. And, you know, because I don't do girly things. I'm just telling you. It's girly. It's not God for me. So, so uh, all the guys can rest easy for that. So. so it was, you know, it was masculine. It was, it was there. And I remember, you know, and, 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 I, and I'd already kind of broke through, you know, the no hand to one hand. And then the one hand to two hand. And, you know, then the, then the, then the, then the kind of move the hand just a little bit. And I'd already broken through all of these stages. And now the spirit of God, man, he was he was working on me saying, I want you to I want you to go out in the aisle. I want you to do that. I'm going, hey, Holy Ghost, let me tell you. You have you have. You've got me this far, but I'm just telling you, I'm just telling you, I'm this. This is crowding me. I'm already feeling, you know, you know where I was. See, this is where I was when I was here. You know, with my hands up, I was about waist deep. And there at Look Look Up Lodge, the Holy Ghost in me had reached the place where he said, are you going to dive in or not? You said this is what you wanted. You said you wanted miracles and manifestations of me. You said you wanted to see me work big in your life. You said God never worked big in your life. No, he was compassionate and merciful. God always does compassionate and merciful things for all of us. Hallelujah. But the question is, do you want his mercy on occasion or do you want his presence on a regular basis? And I said, well, Lord, you know, I want I want you. I want you. I want you. He said, dive in. I mean, I remember dive in. And I just remember I was I was it, it was it was obviously a Baptist camp because they had these pews that was, you know, it was about, you know, it, it was it was about 20 yards wide and about a mile long. And 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 all I could do was was. Just slip out. And I closed my eyes because <laughs> I didn't want anyone else. I, I thought if I closed my eyes, nobody would look. <laughs> I, think, I think that's what was going on inside of me. If I close my eyes, nobody will know what I'm doing. And then it was at that moment I just said, okay, here we go. Jewish dance. On two. One, two. Boom. <laughs> and I probably did the worst Jewish interpretive dance Known to man. But can I just tell you something? 
something started breaking in me. From that moment on, God began to do things more consistently and, and more regular and more dramatic and more amazing. And, 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 and the whole point of this message is not to somehow reel everyone down here and now let's all start doing Jewish dances. Because you know what? It was that Jewish dance for me that, had, that was the moment that got me in over my head. I don't know what that means for everybody. I would never presume that for everybody. Except I know this, that for some of you, to put an antenna up, you'd be over your head. We love you. God loves you. Don't, don't misunderstand. And you don't have to. I, I mean, I, I, I'd stay in the river. Even if it's ankle deep, stay in the river. Even if it's knee deep, stay in the river. If it's waist deep, stay in the river. Because at least if you're in the river, you're giving God a chance to send a tsunami your direction. So there's no condemnation. There's no judgment in all of these things. God loves just everybody. Just say amen. God loves me and he loves you. Amen. But he wants to know, are you ready to to get over your head? In him. Because the group that decides to swim out to the deep end is the group that will change nations. The group that swims out to the deep end will be the group that kings and princes will come knock at your door and say, can I talk to you for just a minute or two? The ones that are in over their head are the ones who when they go to the water cooler at their workplace, all of a sudden people will get up from their desks and come over to you and say, can I visit with you for just a minute or two? I need an answer. It's the ones that are over their head. And I believe that in this hour, God's giving us a moment to do this, to cry out for Him, to want Him because we want Him, not because we're in crisis. Are you hearing me? I believe America can be saved as a nation, but we better be about getting on our faces before God now. Because I'm not sure how much more pain we can take. But there's plenty more to be meted out because God will have his harvest. He will have his moment. He will have his day. I'm going to be sure I'm the one that's face is in a carpet. I'm going to be sure I'm the one whose eyes are looking under the hills from whence cometh my help. I'm going to be the one that's going to be out. I'm going to be dog paddling in the deep end. Saying, Lord, wherever the river flows, that's where you can take me. How about you? Stand with me, will you?